friends! Welcome to episode 167 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Alright. I mean, you know, it's life. Yeah. In the summertime. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm constantly, uh, unsurprised by what the next stress is. <laughs> now like it's like i think at this point it's uh uh i i left my phone over there can you grab it oh yeah. <laughs> i know what I, you're pointing at <laughs> no so i was like did i really leave that over there i did um and i want to be able to see live chat uh but uh yeah i'm i feel like if like a deep one showed up we'd all just be like Oh, is it Tuesday already? Well, this might as well happen. Yeah. <laughs> is it Tuesday already? I, yeah. I didn't think it was, you know? Yeah. You know, or, and, and, and not even like, there was a point that, uh, that we would joke about, like, we wouldn't be surprised by ghosts or UFOs or things like that. Mm. Now I think we're just numb in many ways. I kind of welcome them, you know? Yeah. Just be well, like, I, hey guys, join the party. Yeah, like, but, but is it one more crazy? Like, I'd almost be like, Maybe give us a week or a month just to kind of get a few things together because I feel embarrassed. Like, if this is the end of the world, can can you just like five minutes, like five minutes? Let me take a shower. Right, right, right. So, but uh, speaking of uh, giant dumps, um, <laughs> we have a show to do tonight. Yeah, I uh, I was I was saying at dinner, I almost feel a little bit bad about asking if you would uh, be willing to take a crack at Seven C Second Edition. Yeah. Um, but it's good that we did, and especially after the kind of stuff that we've we've already talked about. Well, I, I only say I feel bad because uh, we we had a discussion earlier when we were kind of going over our show sheet and stuff like that, and making sure they were all on the same page pre-show. Yeah. And just as that discussion went on, you were just getting angrier and angrier. Yes, I'm more frustrated than angry. Like there's still a love for Seven C. I still have a love. I'm not saying Seven C First mm-hmm. Edition was flawless in any way. It's, sure. It's it's got sure. its edges, but there's so much love and beauty in it that that i have and i I really do appreciate so much of it that when i look at second edition i had such high hopes of what it could be and and like getting my hands on it turning the page like wow 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 what okay what the actual what and it just it because it's so different yeah and and so now i mean it's been a while i mean okay so I'm going to get right into this. So, in- Well, hold on. I just, I just wanted to say this. This is okay. the reason I okay. wanted to do this. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is this it, cathartic? Is this actual Wednesday night therapy? Well, <laughs> no, no. It was – It was. this is – okay. So this is actually a continuation of the discussion we had um, a few weeks ago about the ship of Theseus. Yes. Okay. About the changing between editions of uh, of mechanics, of, you know, what the focus of the game is and stuff like that. And when a an, a new edition goes too far, you know, when they have replaced enough of the ship of Theseus that it is officially no longer the same ship anymore. Right, right. And, uh, you know, where do you reach that point where it has crossed that line for some gamers? And this was seven C second edition was was probably the thing that like I I had seen I I had been talking to Sean about some stuff about fifth edition D and D that had originally spurned, uh, uh, spawned that discussion but um, I was then reading something on Reddit about seven C second edition and there seemed to be this disparity between um, 
players who who didn't interact with first edition right. and old fans of first edition. Yes. And the it, it seemed like the people who came into it in second edition didn't understand what the big deal was. Mm-hmm. And people who had played first edition basically on site disavowed the system. I would agree with that statement. I think that that was very common. I think there was still a lot of people who loved first edition who stepped into second edition and felt that it was an it was a palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. You know, like they could bring their knowledge from first edition and effectively play first edition in second, play the world of first edition in second edition and still enjoy sure, it. Sure, sure. Um and and get that thing. And there there's still a, a ton of love for 7C out there. Um and I don't think that there was like I don't think there was animosity between the groups either. Mm-hmm. I think it was just like, uh, I don't understand from this perspective, that oh, perspective. Yeah, but, I, I didn't I didn't really see anybody saying like, oh, no, you know, you're wrong for liking Second C7, Second Edition or anything like that. Which but, we saw early on with like D&D versus D&D Second Edition. Yeah, there's, some, I mean, edition. there's definitely some elitism and gatekeeping and stuff that takes place there. Yeah, but I, yeah did. I, I, didn't, I didn't see any of that, yeah, at I least think that in this discussion. Yeah. But uh, to, to, to the point, though, that's the reason I wanted to do the system spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, is not only because it's a game system that mm-hmm. we haven't looked at before. Um, we really haven't looked at much. I, I think Call of Cthulhu is the only other Chaosium game that we've ever looked at. Yes, um, yes. So it's it's a new game system we haven't looked at before um, from new design from a new design perspective, and it wasn't Chaosium to start with. It's something you love, mm-hmm. but also, um, kind of on a side note, I I did kind of want to do the compare and contrast of like why in in looking at this in spotlighting this game system can we s- I- I examine at least a little bit why it kind of did a belly flop, yeah, on arrival, yeah, at least for some of us, sure. At least for some of us. So uh, to understand this, you have to – I would say you have to kind of go far enough back to, to know that John Wick uh, was the – Not e- that John Wick. Correct. Correct. Although with the firearms, you could almost question it. Um, the uh, – started this whole project with uh, Aldraic, which was AEG. And you'll see AEG on all kinds of products still. Like they're, they're still very much out there mm-hmm. um, doing all kinds of stuff. Um, and there's a lot of – I'm not going to say shared property, inspiration, kind of a thing that 7C produced um, when it came out in 1999, which really isn't that long ago. Like, in, in game system history, that's not that long. Um, but there were a lot of... Uh, there was card game that came out of it. There was a... Uh, there were other board-style games that came kind of off the sides of it love letter was another one that came off of it that was all part of this kind of swashbuckling genre and romance genre oh was was love, was love letter second uh, a seven C? first well yes and no huh okay. like take a good look at it and you'll wonder you know yeah. how it, it's not part of the system it's but a it's, it it's an inspiration if you will and or a, a side story in my personal opinion yeah that's a it's it's a it's a Card game, if I remember it correctly, it's, a, um, it's I, a social spinning card game. I saw a uh, I saw a game played on tabletop with Will Wheaton. I have it upstairs. Yeah, um, and I've, I've played it. Um, in 2004, during the the rise of D20, um, AEG stepped into Swashbuckling Adventures, which was the D20 version of Seven C. Yep. And yep. what was interesting about that time was they actually dual worked all of the books. So anything new that was added to Swash Luckling Adventures still had D10 rules in it. Mm, okay. So you could do both. 
So in a lot of ways, it was a Rada that was split, sure. you know, uh, but was carried through. And I, I thought that was kind of cool. Looking at some of that stuff, a lot of people, and I, I, I never used any of it, mm-hmm. um, even as reference materials, because I often felt that it was, uh, that it was a, a shift. Um, and so I, I didn't follow into swashbuckling adventures at all. Um, in 2015, AEG transferred that ownership back to John directly. Um, there's some stuff there, but it's, it's all logistical, really. Um, in 2016 is when he kickstarted, uh, the second edition, um, which was right after that. And then, uh, during that, uh, he kickstarted, uh, a second flavor of 7C, uh, which was the East Asian inspired, um, is this pronounced Kitai? Thank you. Um, cause I would totally butcher it. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately it failed, like straight up didn't work out. Um, but all of that got picked up by Chaosium in 2019. So now it's all sitting under Chaosium mm-hmm. and shows as such. Um, and honestly, if you go looking for 7C stuff in drive through RPG or in other places, it is kind of misleading. You'll see first edition stuff mingled with second edition stuff mm-hmm. because they didn't change up titling very well. Um, and that's, it's definitely added to the confusion. And even swashbuckling adventure stuff kind of gets blended in there as well because it's all under one thing under a chaosium. Whereas before you could say AEG did this and this is now John Wick and then this is, you know, oh, now it's chaosium. So there was a lot of things there, but first edition had a direct card, card game that went with it that had a lot of ebb and flow with it because it was good. People really liked it. It was a neat system. They then uh, incorporated a lot of that, uh, a lot of those characters in the stories that were in there. So you could, there was places where you could actually fit the card game into the physical uh, role-playing game. Oh, uh, yeah. They did a lot of the same stuff with um, uh, Legend of the Five Rings. Exactly. Where they, they had whole, like, card tournaments, and the winners of that tournament essentially got to, like, the story of the winning championship game. Yep got written into novel form, essentially, and yeah. became the next plot arc. And uh, the problems with that, you know, are varied, but like with any game, they, they reproduced, they made new versions, they made new versions of cards, and eventually people just got sick and tired of having to buy the new versions of new cards with new rules and and tweaking that, not unlike any other card game. Sure, sure, um, sure. They all, Chaosium did a new card game called Sweet Jenny. I know nothing about it. Okay. Um, but it looks swashbuckly, kind of... A love letter esque, from what I can tell. Sure. Um, when this Kickstarter and I could go into detail about the Kickstarter, and I won't. I will simply say this: the Kickstarter had a great following at the at its onset, and there was a lot thrown into it, um, and a lot of love and a lot of compassion from the. Uh, from the people who were the, 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 the patrons who kickstarted it, mm-hmm. um, to the tune that there were several who paid thousands, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars to have themselves put into the story. They loved the idea of that. And you, you basically paid, you could pay a grand and your, your character was going to go in one of the books. Yeah. Which is great that the, immor- it's immortalizing yourself in the game that you wanted to be. Absolutely. Um, as early as two months ago, the requests for where's my character in the story have still gone unanswered mm-hmm. for some of these people where they've they've not been made whole. So there is there's still there's a certain sense of animosity that is is coming from the Kickstarter still yet still yet. Mm-hmm. Because 
it was Johns and then Chaosium, and I think some of the transition there has made it very confusing on who holds that. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm not going to put blame. I'm not going to put confusion. There's all kinds of bureaucracy and business and communications and even technical things that can go into trying to manage that level stuff. Um, nor am I going to put, make light of those, uh, of people's love for the system and their, their despair of what happened with the Kickstarter and how disenfranchised they are with sure, it. Sure, sure. I have to literally set that off to the side. Mm-hmm. I have my own opinions on it. I came in at the, at a level where I got the Black Pirate Edition book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still not cracked as a book. Oh wow. Like I've opened it, I've read through it. I'm I'm pleased to a degree with what I received, uh but I can tell you there are digital assets that I never got. Oh wow. Because the coupons expired before Drive-Through RPG could honor them and all Drive-Through RPG says is go back to the Kickstarter and ask them to get new ones. Oh jeez. And so I, I there are literally assets I don't have. Um which is very frustrating. Yeah. Um Yeah, absolutely. So but I'm gonna for so for this we're, I'm gonna focus on the first book because realistically that's what we focused on for all of our our shows is we're trying to show here is as you see the system like yeah if I'm yeah, a new yeah. person and I grab like the traditional I go to the store I grab the book off the shelf or I go to drive through RPG I grab the core book this is my experience going into it and yes so I'm going to try and do my damnedest to look at it from that perspective <laughs> and and not suffer our our listeners to go through and. Uh, except me comparing it constantly to first edition. Uh, I will wait for your questions to do that. Okay, fair enough. Um, so where would you like to start? Would you want to do a book teardown a little bit to kind of talk about where the focuses were? Because I think that kind of paints its own picture for some systems. Uh, well, let's let's talk just a little bit about, like, what is 7C. I know we, we, we talk about it, like, if you're a long-term listener of the show, you'll have probably heard Rob talk about this a bunch in the past, but I don't think we've ever had like a dedicated discussion about what 7C actually is. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and do it from the perspective of second edition as you read it in the book. And that is 7C is a romantic portrayal of European countries and European folk tales, including the UK, Mm -hmm. um, as far out as Russia, as far South as the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and, uh, and, and its folklore, its history, uh, and aspects of the 17th century mm-hmm. uh, in Europe. Now, that 17th century is broad. If you're a historian, please do not take that as law. Yeah, it yeah. is a it is a very broad statement. Um, it's, we're talking it's Europe. If you squint at it, at the 17th century, it is pre-industrial mm-hmm. revolution, uh, post-medieval. So it's it's Renaissance to a degree. Um, You're looking at more less less knights in shining armor and more uh, swashbucklers with rapiers and single shot pistols. Correct. That you like flintlock. Correct. Yeah. And each of the countries are poised in an important part of history during that time, whether it's mythically or or physically. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, mythically, uh, you have Avalon, the Highland Marches, and Innsmore. Mm-hmm. Now. For anybody who can who can squint their eyes and look at that, that's England, Ireland, and Scotland. Yep. Um, and you have a queen, Elaine, mm-hmm. who sounds very much like a, a, a historical queen coming into power who has no king, 
who has found who who is in control of the Grail, a holy relic that the the Inish people uh, raise above everything else because it holds the power to keep this glamour magic upon the island mm-hmm. and allows it to be there and and this which is a very powerful thing so they revere her holding that seat because the moment that she is not worthy of it it will fall from her hand and chaos will come mm-hmm. um, because it's more than just giving glamour it's there's a protection that goes along with that sure um, and the highland marches are a proud people who are constantly struggling between joining avalon and being an independent clan uh group a group of clans that are under their high king uh named robert um so you can see that there are historical aspects there but there's also a lot of fantasy that's wrapped into that whereas you have uh aizen which is effectively the germanic countries uh just after the the War of the Cross, which was about the objectionists fighting the uh, fighting for religious freedom in a civil war that ravaged the country, which, if you follow history, is very much the Protestants, and uh, it's it's not described as such within Second Edition as much, but you can if you squint at it enough through a historical lens, you can follow. Most of the countries um, that are that are mapped out at the time in the 17th century uh, in Europe and where they're falling into this, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and and you know you you have France or Montaigne as they Montaigne, call it, yep. uh, which has a high king who is very very flamboyant and doesn't want you know the 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 church involved has the finest riflemen known as the musketeers mm-hmm. that are loyal and honorable and a, a elite guard that protects him at all times and takes care of things and a very high upper class and a very low lower class and not a lot of mid ground uh, because that's the way they like it there you know um and yet you have Castillo, which is uh, Spain with a certain flavor of Mexico added to it. Yep, yep. Uh, which has a young king who is only 16 years old who is being manipulated by the uh, the church and the Inquisition at the same time. Uh, but he's also protected from attacks by El Vagabondo. El Vago. El Vagabondo. El Vagabondo. Okay. Yes, very different. So the the Vagabond, who is uh, this mysterious character who always seems to be there in the nick of time to always thwart whatever may be coming to oh. the people and or the king. Um, so it's the Zorro character, you know, and you have these you you have these very this great difference between the upper class and lower class, where the upper class is trying to be proper and prim and and very very. Uh, uh, business-like almost in their attire mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. these people who are flamboyant and you know rambunctious and they dance and they sing and they have these wild parties and you know and the, the we, we the nobles can't be seen with those people you know that's that's you know but family comes first and family is family is family so there's a lot of mixed metaphors sure but at the same time it creates a very flavorful world yeah it's very very rich yes very rich so 
then you got Usura, um, which is basically Russia, yes. um, where you've got uh, Matushka, the uh, the the spirit of winter, essentially. Yes, who who is a physical entity that you can meet. Right. I mean, these as much as Usura has a lot of superstitions, lore, and uh, and things that are that are out there. Uh, their 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 gods are physical, mm-hmm. like or, or, and and they don't call them gods. They're powers to them. But you have Matushka, uh, Lishi, Chernobog, um, Borvoli, and uh, Re- what was it? Vir- Virana, Virava. Uh, yes, Virava. Yeah. Uh, and all of them are physical entities that lived there and mm-hmm. affect Usura and are terrifying. <laughs> And powerful. Uh, so the, the 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 supernatural aspects of Seventh Sea are there, but I would say they're very low key in a lot of ways. They're um, fairy tales. Yeah, you've got so you've got your fairy tales. Like you're you do have monsters. Like monsters exist. Fae oh. exist. Yes. Like there are horrible things out there that go bump in the night. Very much so. But I would say your common like eighty percent of your population. Uh, has never and will never see them. Correct. But I would say probably 40% of those believe in them. Yes. Oh, very much so. In some of the countries, it's much higher. Yeah. It's yeah. much higher. Innsmore and Usura, <sighs> the far ends of the scale, funny enough, on mm-hmm. either side, yeah. um, are some of the strongest believers. Like, literally, like the salt over the shoulder, your you know, horseshoe, iron horseshoe over the door, always, you know, if a visitor comes late, welcome them into your home, for God's sakes. You right. don't want them snatching your baby and leaving you a stick. Leaving you a pile of sticks, yes. And you know what? An Innsmore person and an Usura person having a conversation would have a lot of stories to talk to each other about, and they would agree with all of them. By the end of them, they would be doing weird little yep. rituals, and you, you wouldn't question it. Yep. Because they, all of it is true. Yep. <laughs> so. Uh, so it's not, it's not really like your, um, I mean, the, the, the supernatural stuff even in like Pirates of the Caribbean is more in your face than a, than your average Seven C game, I think. It, it, than your average, I would definitely agree with that statement. But, but, but I would say those elements are there. Yeah, no, no, they are definitely there. I think what's interesting is, is that it, it produces a very, um, a very hard fairy tale narrative mm-hmm. that, and, and almost an SCP kind of like thing where you have these, you have people who believe and know that these things are out there, but have never seen them. Yeah. But when they do see one, they're like, oh, there, that's it. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Oh, dear God, please come save us. Please uh-huh. help us with this thing. You know, Chernobog has taken my daughter and like an adventurer is going to go, I've heard of Chernobog. And then, like, the dude from Usura is going to be like, we're not getting your daughter back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you pack up her things and burn but, them? But, you know? but nobody in that conversation says, Chernobog's not real. Or, yeah, we got this. Yeah. No, nobody's saying we got this. Right, right. So it's not like your Dungeons and Dragons campaign where it's like you're going to go punch a god in the face yeah. because you've got a plus four Holy Avenger and, yeah. you know. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing is, is that, like, even the most recognizable in terms, like, people know that there were dragons. Mm-hmm. The term Draconizing comes from it in this world. Yeah, yeah. And they're believed to have all been gone, but even the people of Aizen know that within the darkness and the shadows and the fog, there may still be dragons. Sure. And they're scared of that. 
and they have the most powerful weapons, metals that that exist to defeat those things. Yeah, yeah. And but their country is screwed. Like it's terrible over there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the other the other aspect, um, the the other kind of supernatural aspect of Seventh uh, Sea that I uh, I've really come to appreciate is the magic. Uh, because okay. your um. So the magic is all done in bloodlines, essentially. Um, it is a almost a national trait, uh, in that like, uh, uh, you know, porte, which is the the opening of portals. Yes, or I should say tearing open of portals. Um, yes. that scream and bleed. <laughs> yes, and is it, a is a very um, montane thing. It's a it's a French thing. Um, yes, and then you've got uh, like. Certain, you know, like shape-shifting abilities and stuff like that that are that are akin to the Usurans, and you've got uh, glamours, yes, um, and stories of the knights of old and stuff like that that you can invoke. You can uh, Im- you can embody some of the legends themselves from from Avalon, which yes. is England. Yes, um, and then uh, so you've got uh, th- these kind of come from like the bloodline of your you know your sorcery comes from your bloodline. Uh, yes, it comes from your ancestry and stuff like that. Uh, but also the, um, along with a lot of the European influences and stuff of that, they've brought the church along with it. And of course it's not, it's not the church of, uh, you know, Christianity in this time around. We've got a, uh, uh, it's called Thea. Yes. Um, and it is, uh, there's kind of a, a parallel between that and there's like a Protestant branch of it. There's orthodoxy, there's presence, there's, there were various prophets who came, mm-hmm. um, and there's been four. Uh, the, the first prophet had their tellings, the second prophet had their tellings, the third prophet had theirs, and the fourth kind of had, had their own. Um, and because of that, there are, and the variances therein, certain beliefs have carried, orthodox beliefs only in the first prophet in the original stories. Yep. And those, whereas like you have others that believe, uh, in the second prophet, but specifically don't agree with the third prophet. And then there are some who completely object to the fourth prophet. And is it the fourth prophet? I think that showed up and said all sorcery is evil. Correct. Yeah. 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 And basically that's what birthed the inquisition. Yep. Um, and all of that is very lightly touched in second edition. Mm-hmm. And this is the only place where I'm, I'm not going to say this is the only place this is where I'm going to start a tiptoe. And that is, is that sure. in first edition, they made it very black and white. What happened um, and what is known. And then what the storyteller knows about that um, without getting into heavy handed details. The history was very well laid out and in second edition. It's left to a lot more interpretation. Mm hmm. And so you, it's put it out throughout the whole book in various places, but never really culminated in saying this is this is the this is what what is known and these are the faiths. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 like this is this country and these are the faiths that they have and kind of why they have it. One two sentences here and there. Right, right. Um, and so it's much lighter. It's a it's it's a much more open playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't you're not locked down with the same. NPCs and stories of, of who's really in control. You're left in a much broader, with a much broader paintbrush and kind of soft tones in the background behind strong feelings, if you will. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. All right. 
Uh, where do we want to go for here? Do you want do you want to get get into some mechanics? Do you think I think so? Because the world a little one of the uh, things that uh, I think that's enough about the world. But I think one of the things that you've always said, and I completely agree with, is you've never had a hard tear down of these rules. I gave it to you to be able to do that with, and it's one of the things you do very well. Yeah. But mechanics teach us how to play the system, and I kind of want to look at this together. And we've talked about it a little bit already, but go through the discussion and then do a little bit of tear down to say what is this really teaching us? Yeah. Yeah. So. Give me your flavor on character creation, and then we'll talk a little bit about how the game is ran around that. Uh, so, uh, so we'll go through character creation a little bit here. Um, I was actually kind of delighted at how light the system was. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something I like. I, you know me, I, I love I love rules light systems. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a uh, handful of traits um, that are your uh, your main attributes, mm-hmm. uh, and those are things like brawn and finesse, wits, and uh, my all-time favorite attribute of all-time, panache. Panache. At least, uh, by, at least in term. In term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, those are going to be your, your main attributes. Um, you start, all of your attributes start at two. Uh, you can assign two more points, and then whatever nationality you choose is also going to give you to choose between uh, two traits that your uh, nationality seems to focus on, mm-hmm. and you get to get another plus one in one of those. So uh, you'll end up with a, with, a, with an accumulated plus three to your already two uh, 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 traits. They can go all the way up to six Yes, uh, in the end. Um, you'll then choose backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, backgrounds are essentially little bundles of, like, what were your professions? Mm-hmm. Um, they actually look a lot like, uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition backgrounds. Odd that. Um, well, I mean, it's a pretty common It's, it's common a pa- package system that seems very common. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you're gonna choose two backgrounds, actually. Um, and those will provide you with a certain number of skills that you'll get level one in. It'll give you a couple of advantages, uh, which are kind of like your, um, edges or, uh, or, or feats, uh, sort of things. Yeah. They're, they're modifiers to your character. Sometimes they're activatable for, like a you power know, almost. Like, like a power, you know, yeah. that they give you a, a special sort of quirk to your character. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these are keyed to nationality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you are, you know, from, from a certain region of Thea, then you, uh, you can take certain, certain backgrounds. Um, you then choose skills. Uh, you'll, like I said, your, your backgrounds will provide for you a number of skills, uh, but you then get 10 additional points to just freely purchase skills. You can't go above three in any of your skills during Mm -hmm. character creation. Um, worth noting that getting your uh, your skills up higher actually has extra bonuses above mm-hmm. providing more dice. Uh, when you've got three in a skill, you can re-roll a single die mm-hmm. per check. Uh, if you've got four in a skill, mm-hmm. um, you can make 15s for two raises. And we'll, we'll get into we'll what get that, that means because yep. the dice system, you want to pair up or you want to add up dice to make tens. We'll, we'll explain that in a little more detail. But so yeah. like an eight and a two... Or a seven, a two, and a one all make tens. That's how you you'll roll a bunch of d10s, and you'll want to make groups of ten. Mm-hmm. If you have four dots in a skill, you can make fifteens, and that equals two raises rather than making two tens. Right. So it's better. And then if you have five points in a skill, your tens explode. Mm-hmm. If you roll a ten on a d10, you can roll it again for an additional chance at successes. All right, but you still get the first initial success. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, so, okay, after you choose your skills, um, you can choose advantages. Mm -hmm. Uh, you'll, like I said, you'll get some advantages from your backgrounds, but these ones you get an additional five points. Mm -hmm. Um, advantages have point values assigned to them, one through five. Some of your more powerful stuff is going to cost more. Mm -hmm. Some of your less powerful stuff is going to cost less. Um, some of these are also, uh, nationality locked. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so people from Aizen or Montaigne or whatever will have special advantages that they alone can take. Mm-hmm. And they may require things to activate them as well. Yes. Some of them are called knacks, mm-hmm. and they require what are called hero points to activate them. Hero which, points are a bit of a currency that kind of... Yeah, which which in the vernacular, knacks were the term for skills in the previous game. Mm-hmm. So a carryover, but not the same way, which which threw some people off pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, I could I could definitely understand that, and it threw me off pretty hard because I did know skills were knacks right, before. Right. Um. Uh. All right. Then you'll have an arcana. Mm-hmm. Um. Arcanas are actually a little bit like a functional. Like if you've played uh, any White Wolf, mm-hmm. they're a little bit like uh almost like a nature and demeanor sort of uh, sort of very thing. much so. Um. So you'll each each arcana is a broad thing like uh. Um, the hero, mm-hmm. you know, and it'll have a virtue and a hubris that goes along with it. Right. Now, your virtue is something that is thematically alike mm-hmm. uh, to whatever the, the, the arcana was. Right. Um, it is typically you, you will use a hero point and it will invoke some sort of a cool thing you can do. Yeah. Uh, your hubris is uh, kind of a... The closest thing I can say is like there are like hindrances in Savage Worlds, in but that there are negative role playing cue. Correct. But provide hero points when you role play them. Correct. So if you if you find yourself to be you know uh, 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 someone who is a gambler, mm-hmm. and like you're 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 trying to uh, you're, you're trying to like talk to somebody at a at a club you know at a, a pub or something like that and get more information but then a gambling game opens up at a table next to you which is going to distract you and you're like guys I'll, I'm going to play I'm just going to do one hand mm-hmm. just just I, you know just let me do one hand or worse yet like you guys make a get some money together and you sneak off to go play poker and lose your money or whatever like that's you doing your hubris. That's leaning into your character's vices yeah. and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Uh, one one I saw, which was like um, the warrior or something like that, um, where it was uh, the virtue was something effective, like you know, uh, activate you know with a hero point to like take uh, you know less less damage for mm-hmm. the scene or something like that. But like your hubris was um, no man left behind. Get a hero point when you go back into danger to rescue a, to rescue a friend. Yes, you know. Yeah, you um, put yourself in, in at risk. You yourself or others at risk to recover someone. Yeah. Yep. Uh, now, for for a lot of a lot of characters, uh, your character creation is going to stop there. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, if you have taken any sorcery, mm-hmm. either because you were provided that in one of your backgrounds or you bought it straight up with advantages. Mm-hmm. Um, then you may also have the uh, the the need to pick up whatever your sorceress background is mm-hmm. and uh, what abilities that offers you. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, uh, they are generally locked to certain nationalities. Mm-hmm. Um, so Porte for uh, for Montaigne, um, Sorte for Vodaci, which is kind of like the your your Italy yes. analog, um, 
and a number of others. Uh, yeah. Your your knights of the knights of the round table for uh, knights of Elaine. Knights, uh, knights of Elaine, which for... is the uh, uh, glamour where yeah. you're where you're t- embodying the 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 virtuous aspects of previous warriors of old. Yep. You know, or, I, warriors of tale. I believe it's called Touch of Matroska. Touch of Matuska, which Matuska. used to be Pyramid, was the term before. Yeah. Uh, where you can uh, effectively take uh, forms of animals to mm-hmm. a degree. Yeah. So. Uh, but there's there's a number there's a number of sorceries. Hexenwork in there. was and, the other one. Oh, Hexenwork, yeah, for uh, for Eisen, the yeah. the, the Germany uh, yes. uh, uh, analog. Yeah. Um. So there's there's a number there's a number of these sorceries in there, and uh, you'll have um, basically each time you are provided the sorcery background allows you to essentially go in and dip into uh, buying sorceress powers from your uh, appropriate uh, sorceress lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you may get like you know one greater power and two lesser powers or something like right. that from you know for each purchase of sorcery, and you may end up with like three or four purchases of sorcery if you mm-hmm. really want to lean into it. Yeah. If you're background and then you go into your advantages and buy even more and stuff like that, yeah. so you can come out pretty powerful out of the gate if you really lean into it. Yeah. Likewise, there there is another aspect within the advantages, kind of like sorcery, um, which is uh, dueling, and that is is that. Uh, Dueling is a thing in this world. Duelists are a thing, uh, but at the same time, uh, they there's a a weight to being a swordsman, and and how you're allowed to be a swordsman uh, in an impactful way. And they carried that over from first edition a little bit, not nearly the same weight level, uh, but like when you take that, you are part of a society that has agreed how dueling will occur. Yeah, yeah. And how you will handle dueling and that you won't do it outside of those things without taking a heavy price for it. But at the same time, you're given quite a strong hand when going into combat. The uh, the, the best example I can think of of, of dueling in Seventh Seas architecture is uh, the movie Mask of Zorro. Yes. When uh, Antonio Banderas... Uh, squares off with um is it anthony hopkins oh uh, when he's learning yeah yes it's anthony hopkins who's teaching him and who's teaching him and he's got that like three circles yes on the on the the thing and he's like what do you know about the sword well the pointy end goes into the other man yeah. okay we have a long way to go we have a you long know? way to go yeah uh and and you it's what that is is that's a duelist talking to someone holding a sword correct you know <laughs> and that's 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 very legitimate that you will that most people are not duelists, and if they are, they they might be crafty with a sword, but a duelist will always be able to do better than a man, any person who is just good with a blade. Yep. yep. Without question. And the game leans into that quite hard. It really does, yeah. Uh, with the, the, the duelist rules that we will talk about in a little bit are... Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a weighty mechanic. Yeah, they're so. a weighty mechanic. Um, advancement. Yeah, advancement was... a Okay, so this is this is a place where I, I was kind of thrown a little bit. Do we want to skip advancement and put it near closer to the end? No. Okay, let's put it here. No, I, I mean it's, it's it's here. Let's sure. It's, okay, it's the elephant in the room. Let's talk about it. That's fair. That's fair. All right, so you've gone through all that to build your character. How do you make your character better now in the course of play? Or at the, kind of at the beginning, it's really weird where it's put in the yeah. idea of stories like they almost put it as part of the in fact they do put, they it, put it as part, part of character creation yes it's it like is, the last step it's is not a re- your story 
it's not a requirement. Uh-huh. They they kind of leave it as like you don't have to do this, but they highly encourage it. And effectively what you're doing is writing your own narrative of who your character is and will become. In in point like I will, you know, my overall thing is is that I want to be a a master duelist in mm-hmm. Aldana. So, step 1, I have to uh find a master. Yep. Step 2, I need to train with that master. I I need to uh, gain the master's trust. Step 3, I train with that master. Step 4, I gain the Aldana school. Yeah. Great. Right? I literally write that down and put it on my character sheet as my story. When I complete those steps, I have completed my story and I get that advancement. And you get the Aldana school, yeah. Right. And basically, I'm setting myself up to buy my advancement. Mm-hmm. How I want to buy my advancement. That's great. I mean, it paints a, a wonderful thing and we always talk about give your storyteller what you want your character to do. Yeah. That's kind of perfect if you're dealing with that level of advancement, but sometimes it can get very gray what people write into stories. Yeah, because there's there's not a lot of so it's very vague. Like the, there's not a lot of great standards for um how to write your story. Like what steps right. you will need along the way. Like it sometimes tells you like how many steps. It gives you a couple examples. And it gives you some examples and stuff like that. But it's very open to interpretation about uh, what is and is not an appropriate step uh, of a story to get to a particular place. And the other thing is that just reading this from a storyteller standpoint, um, it dictates a lot of – uh, it takes a lot of writing to the storyteller that these things will happen, right? Yeah. So, like, if you were to write on your thing, like you said, you know, okay, so you need to find a master, train under that master. Trust the master, train yeah. under the master, and eventually – and then gain the Aldana school, you know. Right. Okay, so I know that that Aldana master is going to be in Castile somewhere, right? Probably. I mean, he, he could be elsewhere, but sure. Sure. Um. What if my campaign is taking place in Montaigne? That's challenging. That's challenging. So I have to either find a way to bring an Aldana swordmaster from Castile to Montaigne, mm-hmm. who they are at war with. We're at war with and, and kind of tentatively still are. Uh, possibly, like, shoehorning him in. Mm-hmm. Um, or... I need to somehow shift my campaign over towards Castile to give you the opportunity to do this. If I can't do this in a convenient way, in a convenient time span, mm-hmm. I am essentially blocking your character advancement because I haven't gotten around to it as a storyteller to put your opportunity to advance your story into the game. And I think the other aspect is is you and I both know that no matter how much force you push onto the players, if they want to go chasing after a puppy, they will go chasing after a puppy, regardless of if one of the players wants to go here, and one of the players wants to go here, and one of the players wants to go there. Now, I will say that it, there's nothing that says that, the, and the game doesn't discuss downtime at all. They don't discuss the side stories of, of things. Time is very flexible in 7C. Sure. It, it, it sits pretty darn close to the flexibility of, like, uh, of Mouse Guard 
even more so mm-hmm. because there is you're not talking about turns you're talking about scenes and acts so is it feasible that between act 1 and act 2 uh the group decides that they're going to go to this other thing, this other side quest. And while there, he runs across the master, mm-hmm. you know, because he talks, he goes and gets his, his blades repaired. And the guy recognizes that it's an Eldana blade and says, Oh, well then you must've gotten this from so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And, and now he's got a lead to follow on and start finishing, you know, parts of his stuff, which gives them a direction to follow but it's an independent thing. It's a lone thing for the group not to follow. And that's a pretty easy follow. It, you know, also in character stories might be like, I'm going to get married. Uh-huh. Or like, I'm going to go, you know, find out who killed my parents. Or I'm going to, you know, seek justice against something major, you know, or or I'm going to, you know, absolve myself of being hunted by the Inquisition. Like, all the players could have very, very vast stories. And it says you should always consult with your storyteller when doing these. But, like, some of these could be quite broad. And if your story isn't going for that long, your players may never advance any of these. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be kind of damning. Yeah, it really can. So... No, on the other hand, though, I can see kind of where they were trying to go with this. Like, I mean, it's been that age old thing of like, oh, do you do you allow your players to just spend experience points to increase anything they want whenever they want? Right. Or do you make them role play their their stat advancement? You know, right. Like if they haven't said that they've been working out at the gym, do you allow them to buy up their strength? Right. You know, and then we're not saying they have to do whole training montages that take up 15 Montage. minutes or, you know, yeah. or anything like that at the table. But like, you know, hey, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the gym and then we're going to go out adventuring or whatever, you know. Right. Um, like, okay, cool. You're hitting the gym. I know you're trying to buy up your strength. And that's been an age old discussion mm-hmm. from, you know, in, in, in any role playing game, really. Right, right. Uh, so if this is just that taken to the next logical level, but I kind of, I kind of think it was heavy handed. I, I agree, and I think there could be a better discussion about it. And I've read some some people uh, throws at it where it's like a player's just like, "Hey, I want to get this, you know, uh, three point advancement, mm-hmm. right?" Or 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 uh, and uh, so I'm going to need to have three steps in my thing, right, to be able to get this that that are reflective of what I'm trying to do, mm-hmm. right? Um, so. I don't have to write all three of them at the beginning. I just have to know that I have to have three and I'll work with the storyteller on each one of them. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe my first one is, is like, I don't know that I need to, I don't know what my final steps are going to be for getting, becoming an Aldana master, but I know the first thing I need to do is I need to get myself a, uh, I, I need to find someone who knows Eldana? It doesn't have to be a master, but I need to know someone who has Eldana to teach me. Sure. To start teaching yes. me. Yes. Yes. So that'll be my first step of my. I think what is it? It's not five points for a sword school. I want to say it's only three. I don't know. It's either three or four. Um. So I need to have three points. So my first one is that. My other ones are blank, literally blank. And so at some point, the storyteller's like, you know, you find this guy and you notice that he's doing this. And you finally recognize that he's, you know, he's an Eldana person. Oh, okay. So I'm going to work with this guy who doesn't trust our group currently and is involved in the current plot. And 
I need to build his trust. Okay, so my second stage is I need to build his trust. Perfect. So that becomes the next thing. And that way you know how long it's going to take you as a player and you're doing role-playing at the same time. And I think that's almost a easier way to move through it versus having this penned out thing that the storyteller now has to go, crap, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. Like, it is the question of where do you see your character? Yeah, yeah. Which is great. That's a fantastic question to ask. It's good we, to have we, goals, yeah. Yeah, we, and, and to know where your characters drive and where they're heading to. But at the same time, like, if you've got a bunch of people at the table and they're all just like, I just want to play something and see. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not thinking about advancement. I'm thinking about story. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe at the end of this, you, you can give us a couple of points and we can spend them randomly. There's nothing to say that you couldn't just do that. That's true. You know, or That's you can true. say, put in your stories that you have, you know, two points of advancement. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, so what do you do between stories that are two events? Write down what those events are to make your advancement. And, and now you have history to talk about, right? And that's that's another way to do it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it it's not your character actually doing it; it's happening in between. So, I, I think there's some things to look at and to examine there that are kind of cool that you could carry over instead of doing XP in games. Yeah, yeah. Um, at least in games that don't have direct advancement protocol. You know, right? right. So. So, so let's talk a little bit about mechanics. Yes, because we kind of glossed quick through the D10 thing, um, but it's 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 not as complicated, but it is odd. It is D10, it is roll and keep, but not the way that roll and well, keep works pretty much anywhere. I wouldn't call it roll and keep. It's, it's roll and add up. Well, it's roll and add up, but only to a number, and then certain dice get set to the side, so you're only keeping certain dice, eh, so it's roll and keep. I guess. In, in the vaguest of sense, Correct, yes. correct. Like, uh, so, alright, your main mechanic, your main mechanic for just about everything here is going to be rolling d10s equal to your trait plus your skill, okay? So, like, finesse plus firearms or whatever. I, I don't, right. I don't remember. They, they change Pistols. a lot of the names of the skills. Yeah. Um, uh, and so you're gonna take that number of dice, uh, equal to your trait plus your skill. You're gonna roll that many d10s. Um, what you were going to try to do is make tens out of your dice. In most cases. In yes. most cases. Okay, so say you rolled, uh, you rolled five dice, you rolled a 10, an 8, a 2, a, f- a 6, and a 5. Mm-hmm. Okay, your 10 is a 10. Mm-hmm. That stands by itself. That is one raise. Yep. Okay, your 8 and your 2 are add up to another 10. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's another raise. So you know, you've got two raises. Your 6 and your 5 add up to 11. Now, you've got a remainder on there, it doesn't, but, but that doesn't it's matter. Trash. It is 10 or higher. You've added those two dice together. The one becomes trash, essentially, but you've got three raises. You've got a 10, an 8 plus 2, and a 5 plus 6. Correct. All right. So, um... So you have three raises. You have three raises in that. And then you will use those in your risks, which is what they call basically skill challenges, Mm -hmm. um, to accomplish goals within that risk. Yeah, we'll talk about the teardown on that a little bit. But um, the difference is is that if I – under that same situation, if I have a 10, an 8, a 6, and a 3, okay, uh, yeah, a 10, an 8, a 2, a 6, and a 3 – Instead of that five at the end, I can I have a ten. That's great. Mm-hmm. I have an eight and a two. That's great. 
But the six and six the and the three don't make ten. Yeah. So now I'm in trouble because, and, and I say that I'm in trouble because I have dice that don't add up to ten. Those literally get set to the side, and the storyteller can buy them from you mm-hmm. at one hero point per die. Now hero points are like bennies. We'll get to how they're like bennies, but with with a giant set of air quotes around that. Yep. Um, but effectively that creates danger pool for the storyteller and gives you Benny pool. Uh, the storyteller can then use that basically to increase the difficulty of things, mm-hmm. add the number of successes you need in a risk, activate things, uh, activate things for their villain, create dam- more damage. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of nasty, dangerous things that can come out of that. Right. Um, so you create don't more want consequences to ideally things. have these points left over, but at the same time, it's, see, it's a double-edged sword mm-hmm. because you get hero points and you want there to be a hero point economy, right? Mm-hmm. You want there to be incoming hero points so you can spend and have outgoing hero points. Because you do use hero points for different things. We'll, it, we'll get to what they're for. But every single time that happens, you add danger points to the, uh, storyteller's, to the pool. storyteller's pool, which makes things more difficult on you. Mm-hmm. So... You know, do you want to or not? Yeah. Right? So, hero points, um, they come in a couple different forms. You can just straight up fail. If you just want to fail a roll, don't not, you may roll no dice, I fail. Yep. You just get a hero point. Does that create danger points? No. No. It's just straight up easy. Uh, you can uh, hubris. Yep. You can act- activate a hubris, which we talked about hubris, just yep. a little earlier. Um, you can ha- activate your – you can act in accordance to your quirk. Which is another thing. Yeah, a quirk is, I think, something. It's a kind of a side effect of having inv- certain advantages. Yep. Um, they're again role playing cues, mm-hmm. kind of like mini hubrises. Yes. Uh, they're 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 little hindrances that uh, cause you to act in a certain way. And then, uh, as we said, your GM, your storyteller, can buy the unused dice and they convert. The uses for bennies are pretty simplistic. You can. Add to your, you can add one die to your die roll. Mm-hmm. You can add three dice to an ally's roll. So they're always better to help with than to use for yourself. Correct. You can activate a virtue, uh, a sorcery sometimes, or an advantage sometimes, depending if they, they have those activations. Yep. Um, and that may include some of your, uh, swordsman abilities and things like that, uh, are also involved in that in some cases. Um, so it's, they're there as a push of fate, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. um, on the hero side of the, of the dice. But again, knowing that you have them says that you have the concerns of, of, of the DM having them as well. Yeah. The storyteller having them as well. Yeah. Um, see, I, that, that's, if, if I, if I can give my opinion on that, I, I dislike that greatly. Yeah. Um, for me, I I think that fosters an adversarial relationship at the table. Um, it, it, there, there's a there's a similar campaign special rule uh, in Savage Worlds mm-hmm. that is optional. Yeah, uh, it's called difficult choices. Right, and the difficult choices special rule says anytime you spend a Benny, that that goes it, it it doesn't go into the into the jar in the middle it goes into the hands of the storyteller and becomes one of the storyteller's bennies right and uh 
I personally never wanted any of my players to think, oh, God, I don't want to use a Benny. Right. Because it might, you know, it, this is this is going to create more power for the bad guys. Mm-hmm. For me, like, I, I feel like Bennies should flow freely. Mm-hmm. They're a source of, like, and I mean, they're called hero points in this game. Yeah. You know? You figure that, like, you know, the, the, the economy would be based around heroism, but it seems like it's rather instead, you know, f- fueled off of villainy. <laughs> well, and there's more to that with how the story goes. So I, I agree that this is, this is probably the first, uh, I'm not even going to say toe, full foot in the lake of, of adversarial. Yeah. The, of creating an adversarial st- uh, situation at the table. Um, where it's not just you versus the game, but you versus the storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Dune had a similar mechanic there where, that I that I disliked as equally. Yes, yes. And I'm not going to say that that this is this is overall bad and a terrible mechanic and shouldn't be included in, in role playing games because there are all kinds of games and there's all kinds of stories and there's all kinds of players who like to play those stories. Sure, sure. But this is not first edition's design. I didn't have as much of a problem with it with Dune because Dune made it very clear that like it was a world in which danger and peril lurks around every corner. Exactly. Your adversaries are lurking in every shadow waiting they're, for they're just waiting. an opportunity to, to strike. Right. They're, they've been planning 26 and 10,000 years ahead. Yeah. This is 7th C though. Yeah. And this is swashbuckling high adventure. Right. You know, this to me is like that, that pulp action adventure, heroic. Right, but it's, I, I'm wondering if it was meant to feel more like superheroes and villains. I, I get that. Like, you thought I only had one group of henchmen when in fact, ha ha ha, I have 12. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and it's like that. Yeah, yeah, danger points can do just that. Yeah, I get it. I get you know, it, it creates dangerous situations. That you can miraculously get out of. There's still a lot of turn in this game. Yeah. Like, even as you die, you get stronger. Which is an interesting mechanic all its own. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't gotten into the death spiral yet. But, so let's, let's, yeah. let's drift a little further here. So, okay. risks themselves. Like, we're, we're kind of pulling this mechanic out of flow because it's necessary to talk about it. And that is, is that risks are the challenge. They are the hurdle. That you're going to have in any encounter, whether it's action or dramatic. Yeah, they're 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 big dramatic tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, dr- dramatic tasks, almost properly, if you play Savage Worlds. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Uh, in that, uh, these are going to be like, okay, uh, you know, there is a challenge in the room. Um, there are henchmen here. Uh, the room is on fire, uh, etc. So, what is your approach what are you going to do right okay well i'm going to fight the henchman okay so your approach is combat so yeah. now we know which dice you're rolling you're going to be right. rolling your finesse plus your swordsmanship or whatever the, the skill right. is um you know another person may try a, a different approach of like oh well i'm going to play the damsel in distress to try to distract some of the henchmen right okay cool so that might be a, a panache plus performance sure or something right um you're going to roll your dice, you're going to pair off your tens mm-hmm. to figure off how many raises you are, and then we're going to assign those raises to essentially dealing with consequences, um, consequences that are in that room. Okay, so Or opportunities that may present themselves. Right. 
So with my, you know, with the, with the fighting, it may just straight up translate to damage against the henchman. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, uh, with the damsel in distress act mm-hmm. that might, I might be able to take some of those, uh, raises and reduce damage for somebody else mm-hmm. because the henchmen are now distracted by that. Correct. Or, uh, I could open an opportunity where, uh, I, I bring somebody else into the scene or I don't know. There's, there's a number of things. It's all very open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, like, I guess, again, the double edged sword of this is there's not a lot of hard rules on how scenes, how, on how risks should play out correct and and they play out differently by player it's not like everyone will always have the same risk same consequences and same opportunities yes um it is it is much easier as a storyteller if you do it that way but it also makes for a very straightforward approach or or itemized approach but if you're going into a situation and everybody has different approaches they're going to have different consequences and they're going to have different opportunities that are presented. And that creates a plethora of bookkeeping for the storyteller. Yeah. Yep. You know, whereas like a typical thing like, you know, uh, a good, a typical example of like a group dynamic is, uh, you know, now that the, you know, the, 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 the big bad evil guy, you know, uh, attacked somebody on, on stage at the theater, uh, and, you know, attacked somebody in the audience at the theater, jumped up on the stage and, uh, has ran through the back of the stage and on his way out, he, he knocked over one of the, a couple of the oil lamps. So the stage is caught on fire. And you're, you know, what do you guys want to do? Well, we're going to chase after him. Okay. You make it into the back end of the theater, which is where all of the, you know, uh, which leads into a dock area, which is now starting to catch on fire as well. You know, boxes and things. It's, you can see that he's moving through the, the other side of the room uh, on the far end. He has henchmen up on the second floor uh, that have noticed you and they have crossbows. So we're in an action sequence. Um your goal, because you're chasing after him, is to get to the other side of the room. Your consequences are the room is on fire, so you're mitigating damage from the room being on fire. Uh, the henchmen up in the balcony will be firing on you as well, so you have to mitigate their damage. Um, but he also dropped something, a scroll case. Mm-hmm. You can't tell what it is, but you know he dropped it, so there's an opportunity to retrieve that. What is your approach? And everybody can take different approaches on that, but they're pretty much all going to be like athletics. I'm going to move through this. You yeah, know? yeah. Somebody might be like, I'm actually going to go fight those guards. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reduce, I'm going to reduce those guards in case it takes us more than one round to get through here. Another thing that can also happen is a storyteller can tell you that, okay, after the second raise, everyone will have an additional consequence of damage from the fire growing. Every two round, every two raises after that, Fire will go up again, and you'll have another consequence. You can have a timed event, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it, it's built based on raises. All of this, all of these complications, add more and more for the storyteller to manage. Yeah, there's just a yeah. lot of note taking to be able to track this. It's supposed to be very quick, but at the same time, every time I look at this, I'm like, complex scenes are complex. Yeah, yeah. And for players to envision all the pieces around them. Makes it even more hard. I, it leans me back into to people looking at fifth edition with like layer actions and uh, and boss actions. You know where where you legendary know, actions, legendary yeah. actions. Yeah. Like 
those kinds of extra mathematical things that you have to keep in your head like i didn't know this guy could do that crap 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 okay and now the now i'm going to do a layer action a layer action what's that of you know gouts of fire come out of the you know holes in the ground mm-hmm. and 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 spew lava in various areas oh crap that's a thing that's right this guy doesn't take damage from that man i'll tell you what say what you want about fifth edition but you know a goblin's a goblin's a goblin and uh it, the, the bookkeeping on it is very little <laughs> he's but a boss is no longer a boss he's not just a pile of stuff with a couple of abilities yeah yeah he's true. a boss with things that can happen at the end of your turn versus his turn and a layer that is super dangerous as well. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, 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 I get it. I get it. I'm it's just, more bookkeeping. It's, it's just more bookkeeping. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's all I'm saying here is, is that if you look at this, it sounds like a lot of bookkeeping, and in truth, it is. But, but if you're one of those players who's all about like looking at the tactics of mm-hmm. a game, this will drive you nuts because you'll never know. There's never a straightforward situation. Yeah. yeah. Everything is a new scene. So. Building a character who is is designed for something, you know? Is, I'm not even going to say min-maxed. I'm not going to use even those terms. Yeah. Just designed for something means that you're going to struggle in in any situation that isn't the one thing that you thought would be the right thing to do. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, it's... You very, there's very much an incentive to make a very well-rounded characters because you never know what approach you're going to need in any given situation. Or not, and just have the fumbling moments of, like, I'm a swordsman now in a uh, a tea party. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know how to handle this, you know, kind of a thing. So I, I think there's a certain sense that role-playing comes from failure, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and the merriment of those moments. And it definitely plays out that way. And you don't have to have as complex situations as I'm laying out, but if you come from a world where you've been doing that, it's hard to get those out of your head. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, so, uh, for damage tracking, we have something called the death spiral. And it always, it like, bah, bah, bah. It, it notes a Hold couple on. times it, in there. Yeah. yeah always, always say with drama and musical sting. Like, yeah, like literally they want you to make it seem like the it's death dead. spiral. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in this game you have wounds and you have dramatic wounds. Yes. Um, which is very much, it's, it's, that's a carryover from first edition. Yep. yep definitely. Uh, but they handle them far different here. Yes. Um, now the death spiral is essentially just a damage track drawn in the spiral shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, along that way you have little bubbles and then you have a star and the star is basically the, it's like bubble, 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 star, mm. bubble, 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 star. Um, your stars are dramatic wounds. Your, um, bubbles are just your wounds leading up to that. And wounds go away pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. Wounds are not a big deal. Dramatic wounds are the big deal. And understand that a dramatic wound is relatively challenging to get. Unless it's a firearm. <laughs> Firearms just do dramatic wounds that that you cannot block. Oh, really? Wow. You, you're going to take a dramatic wound. If a drama- if I shoot you with a pistol, you're going to take a dramatic wound. I actually didn't look up the, the, the rules for they firearms. They are very deadly. They yeah. are like, you see a dude with a pistol, you need to be worried. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
you see a you see a musket crew, you need to be worried. This is why I played a gun bunny in our first edition game. All all good and fun unless you're also being shot at. Yep. So yep. yeah, and the whole point of it is is that uh, of the death spiral is that it is it leads to a finality that is a little gray at the end. Yeah. A little, but not. I mean, it's still death. But the thing is, is that as you take dramatic wounds, your character actually kind of gets better at shit because they because they're they're more driven. Yeah, um, it's it because it, it, it creates a sense of urgency and danger for them, mm-hmm. and so you actually there are. Um, uh, I don't think I, I I didn't write down what the, All what the, the spiral actual, stuff, yeah. what the actual spiral stuff was, but basically like you start getting like re rolls mm-hmm. on certain dice and like extra dice added to your everything explodes instead of you know instead of I have skills in this I all of my stuff can explode now. Yep. Yep. Um, and then helpless. And then you're helpless. And then you're helpless. <laughs> yeah. And my thought about that is that you know watch the Princess Bride, look at Anigo Mantoya as he's getting wounded and getting better. Until yeah. he's this monster at the end and then just collapses. Yep. You know, he's not dead, but he is pretty helpless. And, 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 or Wesley himself, like, literally reaches the, the near path of death and then he is, he, he he's dead. amazing. Right. And, and, and weak, but like, still turned, you know, still uses his when that intimidation. Moment, yeah, when that moment came to fight Humperdinck. Yeah. Or, well, not fight him, but c- confront him anyways. Right. Well, he did fight him. With wits. Well, with wits. Well, with, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. It's sure. a confrontation. And that's one of the things about the game. It's a dramatic confrontation. Yeah. Not an action. So, uh, the, the one thing I did, I did really <laughs> like about the damage, uh, about the damage mechanic though, mm-hmm. um, is there's a, there's a rule called seeing red. Yes. Uh, so at a certain point, like, okay, say you can take five wounds before you take a dramatic wound, mm-hmm. right? At like three wounds, you can see red. Okay. There's a little line there and you can basically say, you know what? Close enough. I'm going to take the dramatic wound. Just to ramp yourself up. And you deliberately lean into the dramatic wound to get your bonus. Right. Uh, and I thought that was kind of cool because yeah. it was just like it's it's a it's a neat little sacrifice mechanic, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's a good character decision to just say, you know, I'm going to take a little extra damage. I'm going to redline it essentially. Yeah. Uh, for the extra bonus. So um I, I didn't want to get too much into it. Uh, there are rules for dueling. There are that are rules challenging. For, yeah. There are rules for ships. Yep, ship uh, to ship, and and having multiple people on a ship. The dueling rules are are kind of interesting. There's a lot of different sword schools. Um, a lot of uh, culture written into those sword schools about yeah. where they come from, how they fit into the particular culture they were grown out of, and uh, uh, what they look like in practice. Um, they'll provide you a uh, a benefit if you are fighting in the particular style that you, that the school uh, teaches, mm-hmm. you, and you will either you will either get an additional like action effect you can do with one of your raises, or it'll alternate uh, a, a, an ability. Like your your faint will be will be replaced with a different kind of faint. Right. right. So, and and they're not all the same. Like we say, no. sword schools, but they're not all sword schools. Like uh, uh, there's one for like Eisen that's all Zweihander. Yeah, two two uh, two handed fighting. Uh, there's a there's a dagger school mm-hmm. from Montaigne. There's a cloak school. Yeah. So yeah, you've you've got you know two weapon fighting cloaks, you know all kinds of stuff. But they're 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 also connected to a specific uh, nation. 
So, and then uh, the dueling rules also kind of had a really interesting. Uh, at least I thought so because I think we 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 only played once. Yes, that I rem- that I recall. Uh, and we did we did employ the dueling rules, and I th- I thought they were they were kind of cool because um, there's a real rock paper scissor lizard Spock thing going on with them. Kinda, yeah. Uh, so you're afforded f- six different types of moves you can use maneuvers, yeah. Slash, parry, feint, lunge, bash, and repost. Yes, and you can't do the same move twice in a row. Mm-hmm. Um. But then there's this this kind of a strategy of like, okay, if I bash you, that means you're going to be doing a lot less damage. So you're On your pr- next strike. So you're probably not going to do a slash. You're probably going to fall back into something defensive, which means that I can take a moment to recover... Etc. Etc. Right. You I know. can. I can. I can play it up differently. Also, the fact that if I'm just better, meaning I have more raises than you, I'm faster than you. Uh-huh. I'm going to get my actions before you. If I have six raises and you only have four, I'm literally going to get two attacks before you can do anything. Yep. You can't even recover from those. Yeah. So I may open with a slash, and then move immediately to a lunge, mm-hmm. so that. You, you know, your first maneuver has to be something to mitigate the lunge damage. Yep. So you're already on the defensive and or eat all of that and go at me. Right, right. You know? And so then, there's yeah. an element of strategy to it. There you is, know? there is. It is, it is, it is definitely, there's, there's certain Dark Souls parts to that. Yeah, yeah, a you little know? bit. Right. <laughs> Parry this, you uh, casual. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's. I like the overall design that it makes dueling and duelists very dangerous. Now, you did mention, though, that I, – I mean, uh, touching on that, that, that it's very dangerous, though, that a, a regular combatant is limited to essentially one, one wound per turn. Uh, where Effectively, yes. They can – if I have uh, – for instance, if I am a fighter – One with, instance of damage, I should say. Correct. Yes. If, if I'm a fighter – and I and I am making an action against you, a duelist. Uh-huh. So we are going like I, I'm just a dude with a sword, and I'm going against a villain who's a duelist. So my approach is going to be finesse and uh, fencing. Yeah, you know, and my action is to I'm going to spend raises to uh, to do damage. Mm-hmm. Okay, he I I have even if I have five raises, right? To his five. Yeah. The best I'm going to be able to do is the damage of four raises. Because I'm going to spend one to do it, and the rest of them are going to go toward damage. He is going to get five maneuvers on me, which are all going to do different levels of damage. And one of those maneuvers can be ignore my damage. (laughs) Or turn my damage against me. Yep. So. Yeah. So and and the other thing and 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 I, this is not a bad place to put it in because we're going to start talking about how the games ran is that literally in the rules it states villains go first so in a tie villainy wins yep you're you're on your you're you're set on your back foot every time so no matter how well you're matched remember that they're going to get the jump yep yep in most cases so in that sense. They are going to get that opening volley. They are going to get that. So back to your character from first edition who was a gun bunny. Unless she was fast, those bullets came first. Uh Uh-huh. And those are dramatic. Yep. And it sucks. Yep. You know? And luckily she was fast. She was pretty darn fast. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, But that's the whole thing is is that the the game – 
you know, we, 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 we talked about a little about running the game, but it definitely does lean into an adversarial aspect to the point where the game through running the game talks about villainy and how villainy works. Mm -hmm. Your villains aren't full statted out. They have two stats, infamy and strength that make up a total number. That number in half rounded up is their dice pool for everything, for everything straight up. So if I have a, I have a, a true villain, 20 point villain between their infamy and their strength, they are rolling 10 dice to do things. That's unfathomable. They're a villain. It's unfathomable. You ready? They're a villain who's a duelist who has 10 dice to roll against you. I just, that, that doesn't feel good. It, you know? It feels pretty adversarial. Secondly, yeah. to gain infamy, it is a betting game. Mm-hmm. And I say that in a weird way, but the truth is this. Say I'm the storyteller and I'm running the game and the story, you know, you guys are in Castillo. You're following one of the other players' plots, sure, right? Sure. One of their stories. They're they're trying to find their lost sister. Doesn't matter. Right. Sure. That, that's your thing, right? I can have the villain do a heist. He's going to rob the bank, right? So I'm going to take, I don't know, four of my infamy. Mm-hmm. You know, I have eight, let's say, because I'm a... Eight, uh, I have eight infamy and two strength. I'm not, I'm not that great at wep- in weapons and stuff, but I'm pretty, pretty villainous otherwise. Sure. Right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm count, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm Humperdinck. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, uh, I do this heist. If I succeed, I get twice my, my infamy back. My car- my guy gets stronger. And I can spend that infamy on other things. I can spend it on brute squads. I can spend it on, uh, you know, uh, finding out information. I can do all kinds of stuff that are literally in the rules for the storyteller to do. Like go play Dungeon Keeper. <laughs> exactly. It the the game definitely sets that tone mm-hmm. of how to be a villain and run a villainous game. Not. There's a villain, and these are the things that are kind of going on. But like, will they? Do they succeed against the players? Yeah, yes, yeah. They're stronger now. Or, and I guess you could read it to the tone of this is this is what's going on, and this is how you calculate whether the players are breaking down the villain or strengthening them. And to a degree. <sighs> There's a certain sense that I like that, mm-hmm. but it, but by explicitly putting the rules, you're teaching someone to be against the players, to make it challenging. I think, though, at the same time, though, is teaching the players to be against the villain. There you go. And there's there's a part of me that feels like you've got a lot of irons in your fire because, like you said in your in your example, you're like, okay, I'm gonna we're we're off pursuing a personal goal. You know, so and so has a story. That they want to raise their, you know, whatever skill by by another point. So two advancements. They've got to go help so and so's sister with this thing, right? And then there's this heist going on. It's like, darn it, you know, we're we're doing something right now. I'm a little busy. (laughs) Can you see? (laughs) I'm a little busy. You know, Uh, but you've kind of got to drop everything and go fight the villain. And I think, you know, I mean, I see what they're going for. It's, 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 it's taking the heroes and mashing them together with the villains and going now kiss, (laughs) 
Yes. You know, yes. you you always have to combat your villain. You always have to try to stop them from gaining their power. And if they do, you know, it's it's a system that is established. It's I mean, it's really no more than a doom clock from an, you know from another system. It's very much a doom clock. If if you don't thwart your villain, they grow in power and then you need to thwart a higher power villain next time around. Right, right. They're and they can buy henchmen. Like once they get up to like once they're above 10, it's very cheap for them to buy a henchman who's 5 points and yeah, start raising yeah. them up. So now you have henchmen who are effectively small-scale villains doing a bunch of crap on their own and spending their own infamy. I mean, it's 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 funny. You know, but if you if you start comparing it to movies, you know, it's the whole like, you know, is he famous? He's infamous. Oh, that means he's more than famous, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> but that but it's it but it's there and like there's a weird sick part of my mind uh-huh. that when I looked at this I said this is bad for showing this to the players. Mm-hmm. But it's good for a story storyteller to look at and say, How do I know how my villain's doing? Where his strength is at. Yeah, yeah. Did something succeed? Good. What did he invest in that to make it successful? Was it a heavy investment or was it a light investment? It was a heavy investment. Okay, then he gained a heavy success out of it. What does that mean for the villain? What can, what assets does he now have? What does his new resource base look like? Yeah. That's what this is painting. That's what this is showing. Like, And as he spends his infamy, he's losing resources. He's going to have to regain those somehow. Yeah, I kind of get it. I so kind of get it. It's helping you understand that economy going back and forth within the the this tor- the telling of the story from that aspect. I get it. I get it. I think I'd have to see it in action, but I see at least what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give it the credit for for trying to, trying to do something cool with its villains. Yeah, especially in a mechanical way versus just kind of hand waving, saying this is what you should do. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly. And exactly. for someone who doesn't understand. The psychological and mathematical things that roll through, roll through a, a you know, 10, 12, 14 year storyteller veteran who's dealt with heroic and, heroes and villainy and kind of have this mathematics of what the monarch is, you know, in the background as a villain and how they succeed and fail and grow and, and fall and such and the vacuums that can create. This gives you some scaffolding. Yeah. Which is yeah. nice. Honestly, in that sense, it's, it's kind of a nice thing. Yeah, I see it. I see so. it. All right, you want to go into closing thoughts? Sure. I actually didn't write them down for a reason. Neither did I. So neither did I. I'm going to uh, ask you what did you what did you think Seventh C Second Edition did well? Uh, so I, I stated at the beginning I I particularly like how light the system is. There isn't a lot to keep track of as a player. As a player, I would agree. There's not a lot to keep track of. There's not a lot of numbers. Your numbers are simply, you know, uh, attribute plus skill, roll that many dice. It's it's a very simple formulaic dice pool mechanic. Yeah. Um, I, I don't particularly care for the dice mechanic, but I understand it. Yes. And it's, it's easy for me to understand, and I can absolutely, like, I, I will, I, I can absolutely engage with it at the table. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I would never feel lost with that. Uh, and I, I think now that I've gone over the villainy rules with you and stuff of like that, I kind of see where they're going with that. And, and I, I, I appreciate the efforts that it, that it, this game makes to make the heroes heroes, make the villains villains, and make the heroes do heroic stuff, and make the villains do villainous stuff. And 
like I said, mash them together in the middle of the table and say, now kiss. Okay. Uh, okay. And to me, like, that feels like the swashbuckling high adventure that I would be looking for. Um, I know 7C can drift into a very uh, political, very social, uh, very game of game of thrones and masks sort of uh sort of 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 uh game it can but i i feel like the rules uh in second edition uh do very well to kind of put the heroes into the action mm-hmm. and put the put the villain at the heart of that action mm-hmm. and and make those sort of bombastic uh high adventure swashbuckling stories that we've we've all heard of and love so that's that's my what it does well. So one of the things that I will say that it does well, and it took me to just a few minutes ago to recognize that it is an exceptional thing that it does that is oh that is not easy to see un- un- unless you really examine it is that's called character growth, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> do I get an advance? You do get an advance. Awesome. At no point is it in the rules that it states you cannot do that approach. It won't work. Yeah. So I'm at a dinner party. Mm -hmm. I'm a fighter, right? Yeah. And I'm not a dinner party person, so my approach is intimidation. Mm -hmm. That's I am going to make people not want to talk to me or talk to me based upon literally my stature i'm i'm using the not say a word option just just stare like yes yeah. that's, that's what remain i'm using. silent remain silent that's yes. literally i'm t- choosing that as the option for my approach so the so the storyteller is going to be like okay so intimidation is your role great okay um but i'm good at it like i've i've got three dots in intimidation like that's something i'm decent at sure right sure there's no point where the storyteller could be like no that's not going to work. And after the roll, it works. I mean, I made raises. I'm spending them to mitigate things. Sure. It's not, oh, I'm going to charm the guards. You, you you can't. Like, that's... They're, they're not going to be charmed by you. Yeah. It's a and d response. Yeah. Or, yeah. I'm going to charm the Naga. No. No, you're not. I it's a Naga. I want to seduce the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Like, these are the things that we say all the time, and people are like, but why not? This game basically affords you the, well, I just fucking did. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, and that just blew me off of iTunes. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but the point is, is my, my point to this is that it's it's literally not stated. I think we get one. Probably, probably. I'll take that one once a year, probably. Um, but my whole point is, is that it's stated how raises work mm-hmm. and how you make your approach. It's not telling you that that approach won't be functional. Yep. Yep. So I like that to a degree because it does expose that it's a heroic game and things can happen. Sure. Sure. You know, Evie can be the no, the, 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 the bookworm who is, who is tender and kind and easy to get drunk, but at the same time is also passionate about knowing about Egyptology and is a strong-willed person. Yeah. And she can effectively be in combat or in, in a discussion 
or in, you know, or, or attempting to use her wiles against someone else. It's very easy to become a fan of your players. No. And no. I think the mechanics do the opposite of that, and it's sad. I think that it is easy for your players to become a fan of each other. Okay. Okay. So that it's no longer I'll like, that. I don't like that the rogue just gets away with murder all the time. Sure. You kind of enjoy that because now they can do other things with that skill set. It is closer to suede in the I am helpful wherever. Um, and that's that's an aspect that I like. Where I think that turns is how all of the mechanics lean toward the storyteller having literally swaths of things to slap at the players. And, like, mechanics that literally are there to tell you, spend these dice as a storyteller to do bad things to the characters. Yeah. I'm not doing, I'm not doing those bad things to advance you. When I spend, when I spend out of my danger pool, at no point is what I'm doing helping to advance your character. It's literally just making life harder for you. Correct. Now, on the other hand, if, if things in my danger pool went against your stories, mm -hmm. like, I could, make i could activate your story sure sure right which would make things more difficult because it would now bring other elements in that you have to make decisions on mm -hmm. that's not in there yeah but that's yeah. that would be a fan of my players because now i can be like oh you didn't expect this to happen and and now your sister's in the room like the villain like i now have that sister you've been searching for i've i have a scrap of her clothing wouldn't you like to know more yeah 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 Shh, you know oh great like, now I can't kill this guy. I need him alive. Right. And then right. I also need to serenade him until he squeals and tells me everything <laughs> I need to know. You know, and, and, and that's the thing is, is that there are – the mechanics aren't there for it. They're leaning toward how do I make the player's lives more difficult. And that's it. How do I make this more this, this scene more difficult by putting more bad guys there? By get, making the bad guys do more damage? By you know, like by making raises more difficult to get? Yeah. Right. By causing dramatic wounds? By killing players off? Like yeah. that? I have to spend those to kill player to kill characters, not players. Um. So like, it depends. <laughs> certain days, it depends on how many D four and how dark it is. Right. Um. But the whole point <laughs> is, is that it's not leaning into you being. A, a a cheerleader of your yeah, party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not you're not setting the players up for success. You're setting them. There, there's there's no incentive. There's no mechanic. There's no mechanic to to assist the players through adversity. Correct. It's, yeah. Or 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 turn the adversity into a role playing opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. To advance their character. It's, I would much rather have seen that a villain can learn more about the player. Mm-hmm. And turn it on to them individually. Make it more about them. Right, right. Like, oh, I'm going to spend a danger point. Now, you know, where when I put pressure on, it forces you to do something. You can't just run, you know, or or you must run, you know, kind of a thing. Like, that's – there's something else there that's missing, and I, I, I feel like there's a, an edge there in the way of doing the storytelling that the mechanics don't give you. That's fair. So, that's and that's, that's where I that. feel it fails. I think there's a, a success point there, and I think there's things you can learn through mm -hmm. the mechanics. But by having them in black and white in front of also the players in that core book makes it feel like 
it's telling you the truth behind it, which is, is that you're you're not supposed to be a fan. Yeah, yeah. And that's that that feels counter to what Seven C is. <sighs> a little bit, a little bit, yeah. So, any other closing thoughts? Do you have any? Like, what do you feel was like a, a the, the the greatest failing of it? Um, for for me, I. I, f- I feel in 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 a in a certain sense uh like I didn't get this system in the same way that I had trouble wrapping my brain around powered by the apocalypse. Okay. Um there's a lot of stuff in powered by the apocalypse that's just like like there's no initiative in powered by the apocalypse. Nope. It's just uh I don't know what does the scene feel like you should or go in, sure. you know. Uh just make sure everybody gets a turn and other than that it's just chill. Yeah, we're just telling the story here. You know? Sure, sure. Um, now this this does have an initiative system, and that's basically just whoever's got most success, uh, the, the most raises at the, mm-hmm. at the at the table, um, or the villain, or or the or the villain on a tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think where where it starts losing me is uh, like you were like we were discussing at dinner, where there's there's no hard mechanics on things. Mm-hmm. There is no way to know. Essentially, what your character's good at, what your character's going to be good at in any given scene, um, or how to predict or how to math out anything, uh, it's really just left up to whatever the storyteller feels is the most appropriate for that scene, and mm-hmm. you've just got to kind of hope you've got the tools to deal with it. And scaling back becomes challenging. Yeah. I mean, they say everything is negotiable, even the rules. Mm-hmm. And if you watch playthroughs... You'll definitely see that. Sure, sure. I mean, even with John as the storyteller, if you catch a playthrough that John has, which there's a few out there, and there's not a lot, but there's a few, you will see that even he is exceptionally flexible with the rules uh, of his own system mm-hmm. and what he's flexible about. And uh, if you're truly interested in second edition and how it's played, watch a few of his playthroughs. Yeah, yeah. And see how he runs it because he's, he's the core designer. Yeah, he's the one who has the feel and what he's trying to teach you on how this game should be played. And mm-hmm. I think I think that is an advantage of this system is we get to see one the original 7th C and all the years that it's have and then the creator creating something new. Now granted he had other people wrapped around him and a lot of playtesters and a lot of other components that sure, went into it, sure. but in the end it was him. Mm-hmm. And seeing him run it. Like if we could see Gary Gygax running first edition, second edition, Third edition, hmm. fifth edition. <laughs> so, no, ain't nobody want to see him running fourth Third edition. edition. Not you, fifth Third edition. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, like, I think we would have a very different opinion of what D and D looks like. I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, people would still run it the way we want to run it, but I think some of the people who were getting into it would look at it with a slightly different lens. Yeah, so. yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, so we had we had one question came uh, in late from from Nevim, uh, who always has such great questions. Thank you so much. Keep it up, way. Nevim. You're doing absolutely, great. absolutely, man. Loving every moment of it. Um, so the question is, what part of the rules do you, would you like to take into another game? Game or game? So. I I like dueling in this. Uh-huh. I think it would be neat to see that in a different system that had um that was more of a tactical game like like a Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, TTRPG. 
right, okay. would be neat okay. kind of a thing there. But I think the villainy could be extracted without any loss. Yeah. I think that right there could be a neat system to have in a lot of other games where you've got a primary villain that's building. That's yeah, starting yeah, yeah. from a small point and building up. Because you could, you can, you then have a quantifiable way of handling their forward progress without having to take guesses at it. Right. And, right. and MacGuffins and all kinds of things and, and, and make it work. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Like, if you were just running a straight up, um, uh, kids on bikes. Uh huh. Right? And you needed a villain in that. And the, I mean, why not use this kind of framework? Where the villain is trying to accomplish goals. If they accomplish them, they become stronger, and the kids on bikes have to constantly thwart them. Correct. Yeah. You know. It, it's constantly generating goals yeah. for the heroes. And when are you done with that villain? Like, when, when have they been beaten down enough that the players can walk right into their lair? Yeah. You know, or, or, or meet right. them and, and, and be like, you know, you know, I'll get you next time, you know, as they're going off to jail or mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, that, knowing where the end of your villain is when you're playing a game that has risks and rewards like that changes the way you write your story. Because now you, you can start the villain off at a slightly elevated position, just slightly, and know that they're either succeeding or failing. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of cool. That's kind of a cool mechanic um, to be able to carry over. And I, I'm definitely going to add it to the the list of things of, like, try this um, that will be coming out. I promise you I'm going to be getting this thing out there. I swear. <laughs> I swear. It's really cool. Uh, Patreon people will get to see it beforehand. But, um, yeah, just uh, this this concept, Nevum, is actually something that I've been working on, I think, since January. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been just accumulating all kinds of things from different systems that – I think can play well in other systems where different things yeah, you can yeah, try sure. as a storyteller in your games or even as a player. Um, it, just little, little simple paragraphs. Try this, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and see how it plays out for you. I'm not saying that it's going to work great. I'm not even going to say that I've used it, but I will say that looking at it, I can see that there would be some, some interesting pieces. And I think this could really help early storytellers have a framework for villainy without writing an epic tale of where things are going to end. Yeah, yeah. Knowing where your guy is going doesn't necessarily tell you everything he's going to do to try and get there, and your players are going to mess with him a lot. Right, right. right. You know, and not every epic writer knows to do that because you're not an epic writer. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying you aren't. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying in general. No, I'm. I'm not. Yeah. I. You have your moments. I have some. Moment. You have some epic moments that you do. Just so. moments. Yeah. So. Are we good? Uh, you, what, what would you carry? Let me only throw that out. I uh. I really, I really liked the dueling rules. Okay. I liked, I liked the kind of rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock thing that they had going on. Mm -hmm. um, it reminded me a lot of the conflict rules from uh, Mouse Guard, mm -hmm. where every move in the conflict had kind of a counter move to it, and uh, you kind of revealed them at the same time. And then saw how they interacted, and then adjudicated that interaction. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you guessed well, if you played enough, if you played good enough mind games with the uh, with the with the opposing side, mm -hmm. you could uh, outmaneuver them. You know, throw scissors when they throw paper, throw rock when they throw scissors. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, and make it through. I and I I kind of do like that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I don't know how I would 
transplant that into another game, though. Um, because it is tied so intrinsically to 7C's mechanics. There's a lot of heavy mechanic to it. Um, what I will say, though, is I kind of liked the seeing red mechanic as well. Uh, so, like, in Savage Worlds, imagine being able to, like, take plus two damage from an, from an incoming attack and get a Benny for it. I think that's something you could carry over with some systems. Yeah. I think you, I think as you have that danger mechanic where you can say, like, I'm gonna, I'm leaning into this because I'm doing something dangerous. Right. Give me something that will add to my next roll. Because, you know, I can basically, you know, I am pushing myself into something because I need to go, you know, flip the lever on the reactor. So I'm going to ignore all these guys who are in this room fighting with me. And for that, I'm going to get extra dice that I'm going to be able to spend because I'm risking. Or even just on top of that, um, there's a uh, one of the the, the favorite things that uh, Sean and I have from the Wheel of Time series Mm -hmm. are the, uh, the, the sword masters. And they go into great detail on a lot of the different maneuvers that the sword masters use. And there's a technique called sheathing the sword okay. or sheathing the blade or something mm-hmm. like that. And it is it is essentially the I am not going to dodge as you stab me. <laughs> right. But I know where your sword's going to be occupied and that's going to be in my chest and that's going to allow me to do all sorts of stuff to you. Okay, which we've seen definitely in, in movies and Yeah, such. it's the suicide move, you know, yeah. of, of, of the like I'm just going to let you stab me so that I can chop your head off. Right. Right. And maybe I'll survive you stabbing me, but that's going to tie your sword up. Right. You, you, know? like, you chose the wrong place to stab me. You should have cut off my hand. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that whole thing. It's like, going to be lodged in my chest. Right. And I know that. Right. For sure. So. Right. <laughs> right. And that I'm going to be able to handle for a, more seconds than you losing your head. And and I, I, I just – I thought, you know, kind of a that of like the seeing red sort of thing of just like leaning into the blade and just being like, that's fine. No, I, I, that's fine, but I'm going to glean an advantage off of this, you know. No, I, I, I see that. I, I definitely see that you could, you could add something like that to certain game mechanics. I think that would be pretty cool. No, that's cool. That's cool. Definitely. Uh, all right. I'm going to give us a minute before uh, end, Cole. So let's talk about that next week's topic. Yeah. So our next week's topic um, is more of a discussional thing than, um, than a you know instructional topic like we usually do. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about our dream gaming spaces. Yeah. Um, a little bit about the, you know, what if money and space and time were not an issue? Yeah. What would we do with our, with our gaming spaces? I mean, just recently I had a discussion with my wife about like what I want to do down here, which I've had since we bought the house. Yeah, that'd be the basement here, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Not here. <laughs> uh, and, and how I wanted to change up the space and make it something that my that would be fun for me and be creative for me and fun for my friends to come down to the yep. point where like other people would want to run games in my space yeah yeah like, like that kind of a thing and I, I think it's something that i could we could talk about and i definitely think we can get it more than an hour out of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely definitely so uh lead us out all right well you can find us on twitter at st underscore conclave listen to us uh or or join us on instagram at st underscore conclave listen to us live every wednesday night 7 p.m eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave join us up on our discord uh we'd love to have you in the discussion uh bounce some ideas off of our fellow storytellers that are all up there uh you can find that link on our twitter as well as our website storytellerconclave.com We'd like to thank our Patreon members, all of them who help us every month, especially our name members. Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, Subjet, and Hulavu. We really appreciate all of your support. 
Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrock. You can find that at uh, geefrock.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much Thank for you. loving and supporting us. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the over the years to give us these great stories to share with you. And yes. you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night. Good night.